0: Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Perpetti. Unfortunately, Nick couldn't join us today. He's in California, hopefully having a better time than the Leafs did. But taking his place, he's a writer at PensionPlanPuppets.com. He's also the president of the Mika Zibanejad fan club. So it's a good time to have him on. We have Arvin with us today. How are you doing today, Arvin?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, the applications are closed to the Mika Zibanejad bandwagon. There is no more space available.
0: I'm thinking today we just
1: talk about Zabinijad and then maybe like two, three minutes on the leaves. <laughs> I'll prefer it. Yeah, that's uh, man. He's, he's been on a tear this year. That, that five goal game was something.
0: Okay, so just one ground rule off the top here, the rule that we have on this podcast. Crying is allowed, so if at any time you feel the need, you just go right ahead today, <laughs> all right?
1: I'm going to make use of that.
0: Okay, perfect. So Nick and I recorded last week after the three-game win streak but we didn't record the previous week after the Zamboni driver loss. So it's been a while since I've been overly critical of the Leafs on here, but I have a feeling that's going to change today. Yes, uh, most likely. I think it's a, a pretty safe bet at this point. Uh, so they're tied for 14th in points percentage behind like a team like Columbus that you wouldn't expect. you got Tampa Bay, Nashville, Boston coming up. Uh, and the last week's been a bit of a mess. So, I mean, a 5-2 loss to San Jose a uh, one nothing shootout loss to L.A., and then a 2-1 loss to Anaheim. So just three goals in the three games. So today I was going to ask you to put your detective hat on. We'll try to get to the bottom of some of the least issues here, and I thought we could do that through a game of 20 questions. So are you ready to go, or, or do you need a few minutes to maybe uh, let off some steam and, and a few tears here?
1: Uh, no, I'm, let, let's, let's get started.
0: All right, so first question here is going to be pretty simple. What the hell is going on with this team right now? <laughs>
1: I mean, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Um, it feels like a team that can't get all parts firing at once, right? Um, for large parts of the Keefe era, the team has been outplaying the opposition in front of them, only to be let down by poor goaltending, um, which isn't to say that the team in front of the goaltending was blameless, but that they were, for the most part, doing all right. And, you know, Frederick Anderson and Michael Hutchinson were really, I think, the primary culprits for for some poor results. Um, also worth noting that in the Keefe era in general, the Leafs have been a pretty strong team results-wise as well. Um, but this California trip was a little different, right? Um, the offense just completely dried up, and that's not a problem we're used to seeing from the Leafs. Um, typically, the offense, it, it's, you know, it's old faithful. It, it, it's always there, uh, and everything else has been kind of, everything else is kind of up and down, um, especially with the Leafs' kind of defense core being frankly, pretty brutal right now, you would expect them to fall back defensively. But it really has been the offense over the past three games that dried up. As you said, three goals in three games. Um, and more than that, in only one of the games against LA, did they actually really generate consistent offense against their opponents? So I guess in terms of what the hell is going on with this team right now, it's it, they're, they're not able to fire on all cylinders. It, it seems pretty clear. And I think at some point you have to be like, okay, is that just inconsistencies are are part of any team, right? Is that just what the Leafs are? They're just a, a good, not great team that will sometimes be very inconsistent.
0: Yeah, I remember a few weeks back, Sheldon Keith mentioned the bingo card where it's like, there it just seems to be, you can just scratch off another thing on the bingo card. And earlier in the year, we saw, I mean, I think the obvious ones are, are poor goaltending earlier in the year, especially with Hutchison, and then just poor defense from this team, which we've seen for quite a while. But Uh, I think at the time Keith made the comment it was for special teams that was the issue, particularly their penalty kill. And now, I don't know if it's hot. I think part of it might have been running into a a hot goaltender and quick, but most of that L.A. trip was just a lack of offense on, on their part. I thought the L.A. game, they really played a trap system, which was a little bit weird, a little bit boring to stay up for. Uh, But whenever they're having, like, whenever they have issues, I'm always looking at the weak links. And because it's offense right now, like, I see Goche out there. I see Marinson, Kyle Clifford's not great offensively. Uh, They've had two fourth lines at times. Not, I mean, not last game, but earlier in the road trip, it looked like they had two fourth lines. CeCe's back. I mean, Engvall's not really making much happen offensively. It just seems like right now they have so many holes offensively Not something that we're used to seeing, but I'm kind of counting down the minutes now for for Morgan Riley to return.
1: Yeah, he will help a lot. Um, I mean, Riley, for all his defensive faults, and they are numerous, he's a wonderful offensive player. Uh, And I'd say I'd put him in a class aside from a player like Tyson Berry, who is good offensively in the sense that he gets a lot of individual stats. Um, Riley gets a lot of individual stats, but his impact on team offense is what's most impressive to me, right? And he's undeniably one of the best defensemen in the world at making sure that their team gets really, really good chances in the offensive zone. So having him back will will help a lot. And yeah, I mean, I I agree with what you said there. It, it The Leafs at this point don't have the horses to withstand a cold streak from any of the big four, right? It feels like that. Yeah. And I guess to an extent that's to be expected to, I mean, to some degree, look at where they're allocating their dollars, right? The point of allocating your dollars to those four core forwards is that it'll at least one or two of them should be going at any given moment, right? But when that doesn't happen, yeah, there's no one there to pick up the slack. And certainly you you, you see some times where, you know, the, the Matthews line comes out, doesn't do much. The Neander line comes out, doesn't do much. And then as a fan, you're like, oh, fuck, I got to wait. A minute and a half now before there's any chance of anything happening again it does
0: feel like that especially when they have like Kerfoot on the wing which I can't stand like it feels like they're running two fourth lines and the Tavares line's normally up against top competition so like it's tough for them to win their matchups on a lot of nights just because of who they're facing so at, at times it just feels like they're so dependent on the Matthews line and then on the back end like I remember it almost reminds me of like 2006 Team Canada where like the, he had all these skilled forwards, and then the defensemen couldn't really move the puck up to them, and like that's what it feels like with with Riley out of the lineup right now. Uh, he really just he really drives play offensively and creates high danger chances. And uh, just they do seem to miss him right now. And the other player I think they seem to miss is Rasmus Sandin. Uh, it's his birthday today, so happy birthday Rasmus! But like just his his breakout pass, um, his ability in the offensive zone. Uh, I, I just feel like the the defense last night, Marinson, Rosen, Cc, just doesn't have the same puck moving skill, to say the least. And I want to get your thoughts. This is question two, actually. What did you think of the decision to play Marinson, Rosen, and Cody Cc over the kids being Timothy Liljegren and Rasmus Sandin?
1: I didn't like it. Um, I tweeted about this when, when the decision happened. There's a couple things about it for me, and I, I guess I should first separate Liljegren and Sandin, because... Liljegren legitimately has not been great by the... Actually, he's been quite poor when you look at the stats. I don't think he's been as bad as his stats indicate. But, you know, he he's... There's an argument to say he's not an NHL player at this point. Um, So, you know, don't play him he's, if he's not helping you win. I think he's probably not much worse than the other third-pairing right defensive we have. I don't think, realistically, he's not, that much worse than CC. I know his numbers aren't as good. um, But it's a tiny, tiny sample. I don't think they're representative of who he is as a player at this point. So if it was me, I would have played both Liljegren and Sandine. I am fine with them sending Liljegren down. I just want him to get minutes somewhere. With Sandine, I don't really see an argument, especially with the Leafs' defense as currently constituted. I don't see an argument that he is not one of their best defensemen.
0: Yeah, I also separated them um, for this question. So with Liljegren, I do think he's a step behind Sandine. I yes. think that was the case last season with the Marlies. I think that's the case this season. Uh, even at the start of the season where Sandine made the team out of camp and didn't really seem like Willigren was close. Uh, I've kind of accepted the fact that Cody Ceci is going to play. Uh, I think he's going to play even in the playoff lineup, unfortunately, but I think he's especially going to play with Riley and Muzzin out. So, like, when he's healthy, I expect him in. I've kind of accepted that fact that he's going to play over someone like Willigren. With Sandine, like, Marinson and Rosen are both kind of unique players. Rosen, we just haven't seen uh, this year. Like we obviously we've seen him in, in past years, especially with the Marlies. But like I haven't seen how he's played all year, so it's it's tough for me to say. You know, I want him in the lineup right now. I thought going into last off that he had a strong chance of making the lease, especially as that third pairing left shooting defenseman. Uh, but he's he's been a little bit shot happy. He hasn't been the best passer, from what I've seen. I've been a little bit frustrated with his games as of late. And then, you know, Marinson's been a bit of a mixed bag. I think he he fits well with Barry, but if, if Sandine's on the roster, I'd like to see him play, and I do think that he helps his team win. So, uh, I I did like how you separated it.
1: Yeah, even aside from helping the Leafs win, I mean, obviously that's the principal consideration. But let's say Sandine is slightly worse than the other option, right? At third pairing lefty, if you're if you're playing him there, and he's you know let's say slightly worse than Calle Rosen, which I don't believe to be true, but let's say he is, you're giving up what maybe like a percentage point of win probability a game by playing a slightly worse third pairing left defenseman. It's not an impactful part of the lineup, but if that helps Sandine develop, I think that's important, right? Sandine could be a really important part of this team's future, a team that's going to be capped out for the foreseeable future because of their their core four forwards. You need young guys who are able to contribute. If if Sandine can be a top-four-level defenseman next year or the year after, that's a huge boon to the Leafs. And getting a sense of what he's all about at the NHL level and helping him develop at the NHL level, I think, is hugely important for this team. So I think they should be playing him every game both to help him develop, because I think that's how players typically grow, and to get a sense of where what his current level is at. Yeah. Right? Um,
0: I think at the very least, they're very close, Sandine and Rosen. Like, even if you do think yes. Rosen is better, they're at least close. And Yes, agreed. Like, the one—sitting him for one game, I didn't mind. Maybe he needs a breather, whatever. Um, I kind of roll my eyes. Like, I do want them playing minutes, but when I hear people say, like, like I even want them playing NHL minutes if it's, if it's 12 minutes or 13 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not like eight, but like, I don't think they really need the time with the Marlies right now. Um, if there's, if there's NHL minutes available, even if it's 11, 12 minutes, I'd rather see them take those, those NHL minutes. Cause when you, when you get into next year and it's a competitive year again, I'd like to have, you know, Sandine with some minutes under his belt and a little bit of experience rather than just kind of, you know, throwing a, a still pretty inexperienced player out there. Yeah, I agree. Okay, perfect. So we can move on to question three here. Um, Which Leafs? So it's it's a little bit of the blame game today, just because of how the Leafs' season's going, especially when they're you know they went out west and lost to three of the worst teams in the West. So I think it's a a time for a little bit of the blame game to go around here. So which before we get into who deserves blame, which Leafs deserve little to no criticism for the team season to date?
1: So overall season to date.
0: Their overall season today, which Leafs shouldn't be getting much of any of the blame?
1: Okay, so the two obvious answers there are Matthews and Nielander. I, I had them both on my list. I would say Marner maybe deserves a bit of criticism, but he's still been very good, right? Like you, I know there's a lot of uh, discussion about Marner right now. You take a step back and you look at his numbers. They're still phenomenal. Um, his RIPM is amazing, actually. It's actually leading the team, which might surprise some people, his XG RPM, His really? point rate is... Yeah, yeah, it's slightly above uh, Um His uh, point rate, it's more tilted towards assists than ever, and more secondary assists than he usually gets, and f- a fewer primary assists than he got certainly last year. But his overall point rate is still comfortably that of a first-liner. You can criticize him maybe with respect to the contract, but... Um, You know, overall, I think his play has been good. So I'd say those three are fine. Jake Muzzin, I'd say I don't really blame him for for much this year. Um, Those are the ones that immediately stick out to me.
0: Yeah, I had them all. Well, I had Matthews, Nylander, Muzzin on my list. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, The other two that I did on performance were Zach Hyman and Jason Spezza. Yes,
1: I forgot about Hyman. I forgot about Hyman. He definitely deserves to be on there.
0: Hyman is just, he's perfect. He's above criticism.
1: Yeah, Uh, he's, he's been very good.
0: Yeah, then with Jason Spezza it is i think he's been good for one and two like he's on a league minimum contract so uh it's it's tough to to kind of go wrong there.
1: yeah yeah exactly and i mean i, I guess i could have included him on in my list I, I tend not to really heavily blame depth options or credit them anyways cuz most of the time they're not making a huge enough difference but spezza has been has been quite good um his point scoring has been you know i think much higher than anyone could have reasonably expected
0: yeah, the other players uh, that I kind of put on, and this is more, not necessarily performance driven, but just expectations driven. Like Jack Campbell hasn't been here enough, or here long enough to to take any criticism. Rasmus Sandin's just turning twenty, so I think he's like well above expectations. I, I'm not going to criticize him for this, uh, for this season, especially given the amount of games he's played. The was great in in his his debut and. Justin Hall, who really played no games last year. I haven't loved Hall of late, but I mean, relative to expectations, I can't really put much on him. Is right. there anyone else that, that sticks out to you? Or do you think we got a pretty good grasp on that list? It's
1: almost everyone that I that I think has been particularly good. I mean, I wouldn't... Maybe this is a person who's more interesting to talk about for when we talk about maybe who we do blame. But I, I still genuinely like Kerfoot as a player. Um, so do I. Especially as a center. So, But the, he, he has been up and down at times this year, so he probably doesn't belong in the former group where you know you can kind of absolve from the ball criticism.
0: Yeah, and when he has had an opportunity with Tavares Nylander, I don't think he's been amazing. Uh, but I do like him as a third-line center. I think just his two-way game, I, I would have liked a little bit more offense at times, but um, I didn't put him in this list. But the next question... Uh, I also didn't put Kerfoot in, and that's which Leafs deserve the most criticism for the team's disappointing season to date. So I didn't put Kerfoot in this list. Uh, Players I did have, I did have Marner here. I think it's more relative to the contract. Mm -hmm. Uh, He went and pretty much demanded a huge salary. I think he deserves some criticism. Uh, I do think he's been certainly a first-line player. I'm not sure like I would have liked more goals from him, especially at that dollar value.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean that' that's, I guess that's a failing of the contract, right? because he, he's never he's probably never going to be a 30 goal guy.
0: Right. It, it's It's almost an impossible contract to live up to it, it feels at this point. Uh, I threw in there. I think he's been a little bit inconsistent as of late. I didn't like the undisciplined penalty last night. Uh, I did like the goal a couple nights ago. That was beautiful, but I mean, I I want a little bit, I want a little bit more from him. Uh, I haven't loved him with Matthews, to be honest. Like, I feel like sometimes Matthews just creating his own offense and doing it all himself that like, why does he need Marner? Um, But what other Leafs stick out to you that are the most deserving of of criticism for this season?
1: I mean, you got to start with the goalies, I think, right? Uh, Anderson, his year long numbers haven't been good. And the reality is, everything looks worse when your goaltending is crappy. And the Leafs have had crappy goaltending for a lot of the season. Um, Kasperi Kapanen has been better of late, but we can't forget that he had, frankly, a really putrid start, albeit one that wasn't helped from him being put in a position where his skill set is just not going to shine, right? Um, that left wing. Experiment, yeah, that experiment with him on the left wing of two players who always have the puck, uh, that it's he was, was doomed to failure felt well um, it felt like it <laughs> yeah yeah so those two are, are kind of obvious ones i mean i guess <laughs> i'm gonna be very on brand here and make fudeman happy but uh tyson Barry. I, I say this as someone who who wasn't even that big on Barry when we got him he's been below my expectations by like a significant amount
0: yeah i had Barry in big bold letters um So, I remember
1: when... It's not that he's, like, a bad player, but it's just... He's not... He's not doing anything to, I think, really propel the team forward. Right.
0: So, the other players, before I get into Bear here, the other players I had on Marner, as I said, for the contract, uh, I put Anderson and Hutchison. I do think that save percentage isn't the perfect stat. Like, I do think that some nights... Like, I don't know, say. I don't know what Anderson's at, but say he's at 906. Like, I think with a better team, he might be at, you know, 910, 911. But that's not – that's he's still below his standard. He hasn't been himself this year. Uh, I do mm-hmm. think some of that's on the Leafs, though. Um, like, sometimes they just don't show up. But I, I do give a little bit to Riley, but I think part of that is just – I don't know if he was healthy, so I have a tough – I kind of struggle with that a bit. Uh, and as you said – um, Janssen I'd put in there as well just they haven't had a great year part of that with Janssen's just injuries and shooting percentage though but Tyson Barry is kind of the key one to me I remember when the trade happened uh, I was talking to you and I was pretty high on Barry I think at the time you look at their right side from last year and you see Hainsey, Zaitsev, Oziganov, and you go like if the Leafs had a right shooting defenseman that can move the puck like Barry I'd be in heaven so I think and I remember at the time like a key part of that deal for me was is is Barry a rental or is he a player who's going to be good for you for for many years that you're going to look to extend and now watching him play this season i didn't really have much interest at all in extending him uh, i don't think yeah. i don't i think he's below average defensively maybe not horrendous but certainly below average i think that's pretty clear i i haven't seen Enough offense from him to to make make it think like he's an elite offensive defenseman. I think the, the point shots on the power play, very shot heavy. Um, he hasn't, he certainly hasn't been Morgan Riley offensively. Is that fair to say?
1: Um, yeah, I, th- I think Riley's better offensively. Barry is a bit of, I think, a cannibal offensively. Right? He he gets he gets the numbers. It doesn't feel like the team necessarily does that great offensively with him on the ice.
0: Right, I agree with that, and I th- it feels also like. I almost consider Barry like a DH in baseball where he's the sheltered guy. And when you have him as your DH, that means you can't put any other players as a DH. So right. it's tougher to get Sandine or Lilligran or even Travis Dermott. Um, it's, it's tough to get them in a position to succeed when you have to put Barry in those sheltered minutes. Because him being there is kind of taking away an opportunity
1: of someone else to have put up better numbers.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. It's 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 absolutely correct.
0: So now that we've kind of aired our, our grievances here. What do you think of Dermot uh, this year? Ah Dermot. I think he's been fine. I don't think he's taken the like a huge leap forward, and I would have liked to see that. But like to me he's a good transition defender, and he's a guy who can make a pretty decent first pass. Uh, now that he's like with the injuries to Muzzin and Riley. Now that he's up on the first pairing, I think that that kind of helps him like in terms of his grading, but I'd have to say he's been a slight disappointment. I don't know if I'd, I'd put him. I don't know if I'd rip his game apart this year, but I'd say he's a slight disappointment. Where are you at with Dermott?
1: Kind of similar. I, th- I was lower on him before these last few weeks. I think to my memory, he's been better recently. Um, he has a weird statistical profile this year. Um, very good goal differential, right, when he's on the ice. Good XG differential, um, when you, especially when you look at isolated uh, measures. And then quite poor in terms of shot differential. So, so where he's gaining, really, is that he kind of, without being an elite shot suppressor this season... He's managed to Mm -hmm. lower the quality of chances against pretty significantly. Now, is that a real thing or is that a small sample thing? I don't know, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know either. That's uh, like when I when I watch him play, I love the transition defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think he's a player that's gonna consistently get undervalued, whether it's in terms of his next contract or like if they ever went to trade him. I, I think he'd be an underrated asset. So with me, I've always been. In the mindset that I want to keep Dermot because I just don't think you'd get the, the right value for him. Uh even when they have like Muzzin, Riley, Sandine, Dermott, I'd rather play someone on the right side and, and keep Dermot. Um so I guess I'm I'm he's the type of player I like just because I think he's going to outperform his contract for years to come. Now I don't know if this latest stretch where he's playing more minutes, I don't know if that increases the price a lot. I would but hope not. I don't think it's I don't sustained
1: think... enough to do that. I, I certainly hope Dubas kind of, not to be, you know, a bit rude and like anti-player here, but I hope Dubas kind of takes him to the cleaners because Dermott does not have a really strong case for uh, a big salary.
0: Right. And at some point you need to take someone to the cleaners uh, on these RFA deals. The, the player doesn't have much leverage and... I mean, Dermot's kind of the perfect player for that, where he doesn't have the point totals, doesn't really have a ton of special teams time. Uh, I don't think his minutes are going to be all that high because he played on the third pairing for a lot of the year. So it does feel like, like, is it fair to say that we expect him to be around Justin Hall?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, perhaps even less. I, I don't know the... So Dermot's obviously an RFA, whereas Hall was old enough that he'd be a UFA for some of that time, uh, for sure, maybe, if not all of it. Um Right. So I I would hope he comes in south of Hall, frankly.
0: Yeah, Hall is just such a a weird contract. Going from never playing to top pair minutes is just the weirdest thing. But uh, before moving on here to question five, so we just talked about the, I guess, the biggest disappointments for the season in terms of the players' perspective. I guess question five, the essence of it is how much does that matter? So heading into the season, I think we all expected the Leafs to make the playoffs. Uh, I think we pretty much all expected for them to play either Boston or Tampa in the first round. I think maybe there's an outside chance, you know, like 10-15% that they'd win the division, maybe get an easier matchup. Uh, But it did feel like the Leafs were likely to, A, make the playoffs, and B, play a very tough opponent. So if they win a playoff round, is the season considered a success now, or the playoffs the only thing that matters? or should we still be concerned about this regular season.
1: Yeah, that's the trouble with these sorts of sports, right? Like um North American sports in general when it comes to the playoffs, everything gets reset in April and then, you know, suddenly all of this stuff doesn't matter anymore. Um I I go back and forth on this. I think I think I guess it depends on your perspective of whether you're looking at it from a fan's point of view or from kind of a GM's point of view. Right. From a GM's point of view, Regardless of what happens in the postseason, you shouldn't forget what happens in the regular season, right? Because that stuff matters. It gives you information about the quality of the team. Probably more information about the quality of the team than the postseason does. From a fan's perspective, the regular season doesn't matter at all. It feels right? like It's just that. a vehicle to get to the playoffs.
0: It definitely feels like that. Um, like From my perspective, I, I want to see this team make strides to being an elite team. I don't want yes. them to be the, the Blue Jackets or Senators. So I do care about the regular season. But at the same time, it, it is a little bit concerning as an NHL fan that the regular season feels this irrelevant. Um, yeah. And I don't know what the fix is, but it just, like, especially last season when it, it, we knew the playoff matchup from, like, January, if not earlier. And, like, I do, the one thing I do kind of like here is it seems like they're going to play Tampa. And... Tampa just got swept by Columbus of all teams last, last year. And I think it's going to be, I think the pressure is definitely going to shift Tampa's way. If they are say like the second best team in the NHL and the Leafs are just barely squeaking in because I think Tampa will be very, very frustrated if they lose game one uh, at home. So that's something to keep an eye out for. I think it's going to be, you know, we're, we're so used to the, the pressure being on the Leafs, but I think the pressure would be on Tampa in that series.
1: Yeah, it would. At the same time, I think the pressure on the Leafs would, would be, okay, you're in year four of Austin Matthews' career, and you haven't made it out of the first round, right? And, right,
0: that would be four straight. Yeah,
1: and you, and you can you can caveat it, right? Like it, it's, it's a bit of an unfair thing to say, um, because the reality is the Leafs have had to go through a really strong division in all four of those years. Um, that doesn't mean that they're they're like a cup contender in another division or anything like that, but in another division, maybe they, one of those years they get out of the first round, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it, that 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 is a form of pressure uh, on the Leafs. I think I think it's like a it's a real interesting series in that the winner can kind of to an extent it it, it slays a demon for them, um, and the loser has to face a really 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 tough discussion in the off season,
0: right? And last season, they did have a bit of a wasted opportunity, to say the least, where Columbus beat Tampa. And if they did get by Boston, they would have had an easier road. But I guess putting that, to, putting that aside, let's uh, let's jump on to question six here. So on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate the Mudgeon extension? Uh, what were your, your general thoughts of the deal? So one being uh, you hated it, and ten being this is the best contract of all time.
1: Man, I... Uh, so... Fulman and i discussed this on our podcast and i've gone like back and forth on this a hundred times um i think okay i'll say this i think the deal is as good as a Muzzin extension could possibly have been right i think I'd agree with that it, it, it's a smart every everything that Leafs could have done to mitigate kind of the downside risk of that deal they did right it's um salaries backdiving there, there's there's bonuses that make it easier to trade to a cap team there's the trade protection dwindles after i think the first or second year, right? Um, they set it up in a way to potentially make those last few years as easy to move as possible. Now, the words as possible is doing a lot of work there. Um, Muslin will probably not be worth his contract in three years, right? He probably won't be a top four defenseman in three years. He, he's already 31. Uh, plays a physical style. He struggled this year with injuries. He's a good player when healthy. But, you know, are we already seeing a bit of a decline in terms of availability. That that's a concern, right? On the other hand, if you don't sign Muslin, who who is playing those minutes for you next year? Is Sandine ready? Well, I'd like to think so, but we don't know that for sure. It's a bit of a risk to go into that next season where you still in theory have pretty close to prime John Tavares before his contract starts looking a bit eh and, and say, yeah, Rasmus Sandine's gonna be our, our second pair left defenseman, behind a guy who has no defensive ability whatsoever in Morgan Riley. So I, I understand the deal, and I think it's not but I think it's not without risks. So if I was to put it on 1 to 10, I'd say like 5.5 to 6. And I would say 5 if the Leafs did not do everything that they did in order to make it as palatable as this deal could possibly be.
0: I'm going to give it like an 8.5 to 9. I mm. am pretty happy with it for the reasons you said. So I think the Leafs needed a player like Muzzin. Uh, if it wasn't Muzzin, they would have had to gone out and get someone else. Uh, I don't think that player is going to come from free agency, at least not for a bargain price. And if they were going to make a trade, I think you're looking at someone like Nick Robertson, someone like Sandine himself, or like Lilligren plus, like Lilligren and another couple of nice pieces there. Yeah, uh, I, I still think that if you want to make that kind of deal, you can. Like having having another Jake Muzzin on top of Muzzin, I'd be thrilled with. Uh, I do see the downside in the last year, but because it's a 10-team 10 tra- 10 no-trade list in the last year, uh, after July 1st, he's just going to make $2 million. I don't think this is going to be a Marlowe deal where you have to give up a first. Like You might you might have to throw in like a Connor Brown type or, or a third, but I think this is the type of deal that I want the Leafs to make where it's just cap space, and there's a clear possibility of getting out of that deal in the last year. Uh, For me, Muzzin is just the perfect player they want. Uh, I don't think Sandine would be ready to play top, 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 sorry, top competition. Struggling to say that. Um, Riley just isn't really meant for that rule. He's more of an offensive defenseman. Uh, For me, just fits the the team's needs so well. And I love the fact that they can get out
1: of it in year four. Yeah, no, I I think I think that's fair. I think most people in the Leafs fan base are pretty happy with it. And I, I understand and agree with a lot of what they're saying. I, I'm just, I am hesitant about that, that, about that downside risk. I think it could, there's a non-zero chance this deal ends up really bad.
0: Yeah. I think it's more year three that I'd be concerned with because yeah, they have that out in year four. So if he's, I think year three is, is tougher to trade. Like I think he's got the full no trade clause. So that's, that would be my biggest concern.
1: Yeah, and I guess so. You, you mentioned this before, with you know, if you have Riley, Sandine, Muzzin, Dermot, one of them has to move to the right side. One thing I'm concerned about is, are we potentially blocking Sandine, right? Um, and I I'm quite high on Sandine. I think he can be a, a very very good NHL player. Um, so do we? Are we allocating resources in, in a sort of weird way that makes it hard to make sure all three of our best defensemen who are most likely at some point in the next couple years going to be riley uh, Sandine, muzzin in some order um are we allocating it weirdly in a way that makes it hard to use all of them effectively right um so yeah that concern kind of puts me a bit to the more to the middle end of it i i do think it's a very very understandable deal right for all the reasons you mentioned like i i I think it's almost a necessary deal unless you're really, really brave and really say, yeah, you know, I'm just going to trust Sandin because I agree with you. There was no other external option that was going to come and be cheap.
0: Right. And it's it's nothing but cap space, which yes is what I like. People fat. In terms of blocking uh, Sandin, I think next year I'm fine with him on a third pairing role for the whole year. Uh, he's going to get power play time. Barry's probably not going to come back. So I think... Like, his minutes will go up from getting that second unit power play time. Um, And if, like, Muzzin or Riley both had injury issues this year, if they're out, uh, maybe then he jumps up to the top four. Going forward, I I liked Riley on the right side with Muzzin, so I think that might be part of my thinking. I also kind of like Dermot on the right side. Um, Sandine's ridiculously good on his backhand. I I haven't really seen him play the right side, if at all. Um, I do think that... You know, Keefe seems to be a little bit more willing than Babcock to play guys on their offside, so maybe that'll kind of factor into it.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm
0: just I'm just not too concerned there at this point. Um, and again, if, if it does become a big problem, maybe you make a move, like whether it's Dermott or maybe if, if, if it's even Riley. That might be a little bit out there. Um, the next question, though, another defenseman uh, that we've already touched on, question seven here. What did you think of the decision to hold on to Tyson Berry at the deadline?
1: I was fine with it. Um, I don't like watching Tyson Berry play, right? I'll say that off the top. He's not a very fun player for me to watch. Um, but the reality is, especially with the Leafs defense scores depleted as it is at 2.75 million, you're probably not getting a guy who, who does what Berry does. Right. Right. Um, and if you want to sell this season, that's a, a, a justifiable argument, I think. Um, but I tend to be of the, the approach that, you know, you owe it to your fan base that whenever you think you have a reasonable shot, even just not necessarily even winning a cup, but like making a, a reasonable run, you should, you know, try and go for it to some extent, right? The, uh, the reality is 30 teams fail every year. Hockey is about creating memories, uh, even knowing that, a lot of those memories ultimately ended up in in disappointment. If the Leafs win a series, right, it ends up kind of being worth it for a team that hasn't done that in over well over a decade.
0: Right. I was fine with it once I knew that, it, like, it didn't sound like there's a first round pick on the table. I would have moved him for the first. Yes.
1: Yes. That's the other thing. Yes. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. If there's like a good first on the table, like, yeah, then, then you obviously everything I said goes out the window.
0: Yeah. So I think for a second I'd rather keep them, uh, as you said, like. Even though they're likely to play Boston or Tampa, like they still probably have what, like a forty percent chance of beating them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's not, it's not completely ridiculous to think they could they could beat either of those teams.
0: Right, and things happen. Like we've already seen Stamkos get hurt. Uh, if he misses the series, that obviously increases the Leafs' chances of winning. We saw Muzzin get hurt, which I mean that puts more value towards Barry, just because you need someone to play big minutes for the next you know few weeks here. Um, so I, I do think that, like, I didn't mind the deal. As you said, I'm not a huge fan of watching Barry play. I think he's a little bit overrated because of his point totals. Uh, I don't like him in the corners. I don't like him in the net front battles. I think his issues are kind of, they're not hidden with the Leafs roster. Uh, you know, especially if you, if you have him with Riley in a playoff series, that's going to be a little bit concerning when they go up against someone like Point and Kucherov. So, uh. I think we're in agreement there for the most part where if you had a first round pick, you would have done it. If you had a second, you know, probably not worth it. Uh, mm-hmm. next question is also about Barry. So it's it's July 1st and let's say the cap goes up a little bit more than expected, so maybe like something like 85, 86 million. Barry says he loves Toronto. He wants to sign for, you know, 4 or 5 years. What's the highest AAV you'd
1: be willing to offer? 3 million. 3? Yeah, they, something he, he's obviously not going to accept.
0: Right, I'm not far from you. I don't think I'd I'd offer like I wouldn't offer five. Even four and a half seems like a lot over that that stretch. Um, a just being you know they don't really need that skill set as much as Colorado needed Barry in previous seasons where they had like Nemeth Sidorov and they really needed a puck mover. Uh, mm-hmm. The Leafs have a lot of puck-moving defensemen when healthy, like Riley, Dermott, Muzzin, Sandy, and Lilligren. I, I just don't really see the need for Barry. Um, and with the term that he's going to demand, I just... So we, we both basically have next to no interest in re-signing him. Yes. Okay. And, I mean, all the best to Barry. He seems like a nice guy. I hope he, he gets eight years in Vancouver, but uh, I, I I think we both would be pretty pretty
1: upset if we saw at least PR tweet out an extension. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, realistically, uh, I, I don't think the next contract he signs is going to be a good one for the team.
0: The one, like the one thing that kind of annoyed me with Barry, um, like the one defense of him was that, you know, it was all Mike Babcock's fault earlier on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did, he did kind of score right away with Keith, but like, if I'm another team looking to sign Barry to five years, like, I'd be terrified of signing him, thinking like, "What does my coach have to use him perfectly in order for him to have value?" So that kind of segues us into our my next question here, which is Babcock related. Um, so we've seen two different coaches this year. Uh, I'd say polar opposites in some regards. They do have some similarities. But what would you what would your main criticism be of each coach? Uh, let's start. Let's start with Babcock.
1: So with Babcock, I think. I think the biggest thing is clearly the interpersonal relationships on that team were damaged to the point of no return. Felt like it. And ultimately, when you're a coach, you're a manager. You're a manager of people. And that's the primary thing that you have to do, right? And if you're not able to do that effectively, you're not able to manage those relationships. doesn't matter about anything else, really. And it seems that Babcock was unable to manage those relationships. um, You know, and there's certainly fault on both sides, for that, but given the stories that have come out after Babcock's dismissal, I think a lot of the culpability lies with him, especially in some of the, I guess, tactics he used to try and reach the team. Uh, It seemed needlessly antagonistic and, um, I guess just kind of dickish for lack of better term. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest issue I had with him. What about you?
0: Uh, I put stubbornness, I think, and this relates back to the like the relationship issues, where there's no rotational players whatsoever. Uh, also, like an inability to know who his best players are. Like, I don't want to get into the Levo debate. I think that kind of gets overblown at times. But like, he could have played over Komarov the odd night, or played over Matt Martin the odd night. And then Justin Hall. You look at him. Like he could have played over Polak, or I think that was two years ago. Uh, Ozagonov. Uh, you know, even someone like or Zaitsev. Like. They could have given him a little bit of extra rest, put Hall in the odd night. Uh, it, he did seem to kind of, you know, ruin, almost try to ruin players' careers. Uh, I do kind of like, and this kind of gets into my my Keefe criticism, I do kind of like Babcock's willingness to put his best lineup out there every night. Uh, when he thinks something's his best lineup, he uses it. But it kind of seems like they went from one extreme to another here where You know, my top criticism of Keefe, and I don't know if you'll say the same thing here, but it almost feels like he treats every game almost like a preseason game. Like, there's been some pointless experimentation, whether it be, like, he put Aberg with Matthews, and it was Aberg on his off wing. Like, Aberg is not not really suited for left wing. Why is he playing on that line to begin with, even if it was his right wing? Uh, Putting Kerfoot to the right wing... Uh, to experiment. He did like the Kneelander-Matthews-Marner line, which I just never thought was going to work. For me, with Keith, it's like, I want to see your best lineup, what you think is the best lineup, and let's win some games. I'm kind of done with the experimentation. So for me, I, I see them kind of opposites, and their criticism is is almost one extreme to the other for me. How about you? What would you say for Keefe?
1: Um, for Keith, it, it was... I guess it's kind of a nine with yours, but yeah, it's just... There's been some decisions where I don't... Un- I don't understand them in any way. And to be sure, Babcock had decisions that I thought were wrong, but I understood them. I understood what he was thinking. Right. Um, So when he played like Hainsey a lot or when he played Polak over, I don't know, Connor Carrick, I disagreed with those decisions. But I can see the thought process behind it. I cannot see the thought process behind Freddie Gauthier at third line center, barring like a coronavirus outbreak within the team.
0: Right, that was, I was fed up. And I wonder if Dewis was fed up, because that's when the Malkin trade came, so. Yeah. uh, There are some weird ones.
1: Similarly, like, uh, Kerfoot at at left wing is another one where it's like, look, I I guess I sort of get the thought process there, but it just seems so, that one seems like kind of just straight up silly to me, where it's like, look, this guy has playing third line center the entire year. He's been good with Kapanen on that. Uh, on that third line as a pivot of that third line they're good together just roll with that there's nothing that he provides on a left wing of two much better passers and puck carriers because Kerfoot's best offensive ability is his passing but he's just not as good as it at as Tavares or Nylander so like what's the point of having him there
0: right that's where I'm at with Kerfoot too like for me his speed isn't I don't think he's all that fast even though some people seem to think he is Uh, I think it's his passing that stands out. It's his two-way game. I don't think he's all that good on the four check, which is something I value on the wing. I don't think he's much of a shooter, which is something I value on the wing. So I I just, like, I get, I kind of understand that one, what he's thinking. Uh, He's thinking, like, I don't like my other other wing options, and I want Tavares and, and Nylander to be maximized. But at the same time, like, you can't throw out two lines, half of your lines that just can't score on paper, like, we can't be surprised or we can't be shocked when the team has scoring issues, when like Clifford's on one line and then you have like Gauthier on the other, um, like one fourth line is enough for me. And, you know, at some point I want the experimentation to stop. I think, you know, there's been some key games this year where I don't think he's put his best lineup out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. So yeah, for me, it's, it's just the weird lineup decisions. Some of which I, I guess I'm a bit being a bit unfair and saying I don't understand the thought process behind them because with the Kerfoot one, as you said, there is a thought process behind it. I I just that thought process seems very obviously silly, and that, that's certainly not unique to Keith. Like any coach, I'm going to think some of the things they do is, are silly, and the reality is they're more often to, they're more likely to be right than I am because I would not be a good NHL coach.
0: Right. Like to me, the prime example was Hymen where I thought it was silly, and that worked out quite well when he was playing with you know Matthews or Tavares. Mm-hmm. Uh, staying with the kind of the the throwback or the wayback machine here uh, we talked about criticisms we had of Babcock but I think one thing that we don't talk about we don't hear about at all is Lula Morello so how much blame does he deserve for this season
1: a reasonable amount I would say I mean I guess I guess it depends on how... Blame for what, I suppose. Because when it comes to the on-ice product this year, the only thing that Lou has done that has kind of resulted in this particular on-ice product is um, essentially the trade that had resulted in us getting Cody CeCe. And I I suppose losing Connor Brown, but I'm not too fussed about losing Connor Brown.
0: Yeah, the other would be uh, the Marlowe contract where they gave out...
1: And, and, And that's more of like an opportunity cost, right? Like now we're out that first and we couldn't use it to upgrade this summer right or this this trade deadline so
0: right so it depends how you think of that one too like if you think okay we would have just kept the first round pick and drafted then it's not as evident but let's say like if the Leafs would have used that first round pick on a, on a rental right now like they could have gotten I'm trying to think if he was the best player was at the deadline um I know Kreider didn't end up getting moved. Like maybe they, maybe they just get up. A... Maybe
1: they're in the market for Zucker though. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like it could have been Zucker. It could have been uh, like maybe you add like Kadri in a first. Now what de- defenseman are you getting? Um, so I do think that you know, and and Dubas coming into the year said this would be the toughest year from a cap perspective. Last, uh, like heading into the offseason, I wasn't expecting a ton from this Leafs team. I didn't think they were going to be able to get out of the Zaitsev and Marlowe deals, or at least I wasn't sure. Uh, They also got out of the the Martin contract. That was kind of a gift from Lou on the other end. But uh, I do think that it's almost underrated how much criticism he deserves. I'm still so frustrated over that Marlowe contract and that Zaitsev contract.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Marlowe contract was dumb on day one, right? Incredibly
0: dumb on day one.
1: So, and... I remember writing about it at the time, and so we, we did like a, a a piece at PPP where we graded each of the Leafs' deals. On, I think either on July first or maybe it was like you know the first weekend, and we also signed you know Dominic Moore at that time. We made a few other small um, signings, and I, I remember I gave I gave the the Marlow signing a D because it's like I don't think this guy is that good right now, and he's thirty eight. Right. Right. So. He, he-
0: he was like a four and a half to $5 million player maybe in year one. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened in that contract was entirely predictable. So it is weird when, when I see things on Twitter, of people like reminiscing over like, if only we had Lou. And then I look to what's going on in, with the Islanders right now. And it's like the Komarov contract. They have Matt Martin's contract that the Leafs originally had, they still have that. And then like, I like Peugeot, but that seemed like a lot. So, uh, I do give a little bit of blame to Lou uh, just for this season because, again, it was supposed to be the toughest year. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to something that Dubis did was trade for Clara Clifford. Uh, kind of a tough player to get uh, a read on. Obviously, looking at his, his play-driving statistics, he was quite impressive. Uh, but I've had a tough time kind of evaluating him as a Leaf. Uh so I, I have kind of a two part question here. A, what are your general thoughts of Clifford this so far? And B, what's your max offer to extend Clifford this offseason?
1: In terms of I, I don't have strong thoughts on him. I, I think you know, his statistical resume is nice. Um he, he seems like just a competent fourth line guy who won't kill you on the ice and can add some toughness and a guy to to fight and enforce for whatever you know one thinks that's worth. In terms of what I would pay to extend him, like, whatever, kind of anything, anything above, you know, a variable amount is not something I have interest in. I think we can, I think we can replace him with Marley's and Street Free Agents.
0: Right. And I don't, I, I like having a fighter, but I'm not really willing, willing to pay for it. Exactly. Um,
1: it's like, it's nice to have, I suppose, but I'm not going out of my way for it. Right. And
0: I do... Like it's nice to have that his statistical profile, but he doesn't score, and I think he's a, a sure fourth line player. Like I like having kind of his defense, his his work in board battles. Um, like it is, I do think he can play. I do think he's a legitimate NHLer, even if he didn't fight. But again, like the least the least model is kind of you pay your stars, you go as cheap as possible on the rest of them, and I'm not willing to pay like maybe one million a year. Uh, even like his current 1.6, I think would be a little bit high. Same. Okay. Okay. So we're in alignment there. Um, next question. Question 12 here. Who would you rather play? Tampa Bay or Boston?
1: Tampa. Easy.
0: Really? So, so Stamkos is hurt. So mm-hmm. is that what changed it? Or if Stamkos is healthy, you still would play Tampa?
1: I'd still rather play Tampa. Um, couple reasons for it. And some are like rational reasons, and some are not rational reasons. Hmm. Um, so I'll get I'll get the irrational reason out of the way. I'm sick of facing Boston. I I, I just don't want to. I'm sick of facing them in a playoff series. I want a bit of variety, right? Okay. It it it's, it actually gets boring facing the same team over and over again. There's and also this I guess from a a media perspective, which is I guess sort of what we we are in some sense um you know as we both we both talk about the Leafs and write about the Leafs and whatnot I don't think there's that much interesting left to say about the Boston series okay you know what's the Leafs plan for winning well they got a hope to saw off even against the Berger line clean up against the depth use their speed against Boston try and exploit chair hope referees call penalties like we, we've we could do this in our sleep we've said it twice before
0: right just copy and paste your old articles
1: exactly um and you know the, the teams are, are functionally quite similar um You know, Boston still has that, like, ridiculous top line, that ridiculous power play. You can't let Pasternak shoot basically from anywhere. Uh, So, yeah, with Tampa, I don't think they're much worse a team, if at all, than Boston. I think they're very similar. It's hard to choose between them. A couple things make it easier. I think Tampa is a team in the Leaf style. It's a strength versus strength matchup, right? Right. It's going to be both teams saying, we know what you like to do, you know what we like to do, and they're pretty similar things. Let's see who can do it better right um and i think that plays into the leafs style right i think that's a game they like to play i think not that you need to like get up for the playoffs everyone gets up for the playoffs but i think they will take it as okay like we have to show that we are like we are the best offensive team in the world yeah right and they might lose but i think it'll it's a it's a it's a game where the leafs are going to be able to play the way they want to play and i i i back them when they can do that um that doesn't mean they're favorites in the series of course right
0: and I I think from a fun perspective Tampa's certainly the answer that would just be oh a, yeah a great series for me though I I would say Tampa with Stamkos out I just think he's getting up enough player to kind of swing that um but I think I'd rather play Boston if both teams were fully healthy uh Tampa just they scare me like Braden Point Kucherov Stamkos I love Blake Coleman, who they got. Obviously they have Hedman on the back end. Uh Sergeyev, McDonough. Like I just keep looking at that team and I'm just amazed at the talent. Like I think that's the most talented team in the NHL. But then like not to say Boston isn't isn't great, but I just look at that roster and I kinda of wonder how they do it. Um I I just almost want to slay the dragon. So I guess again, it's more of a, a rational answer where I just wanna like Let's play Boston, let's beat them. I wanna get this get over this storyline already. Um so again, I, I think it is pretty irrational, but it seems like there isn't really a, a great matchup there for the Leafs either way.
1: Yeah. I think in either series they're like, you know, their probability of winning is between, let's say, you know, thirty seven and a half and forty two and a half, something like that.
0: Jeez. All right. Let's hope uh let's hope Pasternak gets suspended in game two this time. Let's flip, flip <laughs> the script. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, question 13 here related to the playoff series. So, if the playoffs start today and let's say Anderson has a rough first game. So, you know, not like letting in goals from the red line, but you know, one of his bottom 10-15 games of the of the season. Uh like he should have he should have definitely had one back. Uh, he lets in maybe like four or five goals. How short is his leash now because uh, like heading back a month ago I think Anderson could have given up two goals from the red line and still would have got game two over Hutchison. Now, the way Campbell's playing, it's definitely a shorter leash. But you know, if if Anderson has a rough first game, who do you think you'd go
1: to in game two?
0: Do you think you'd make that switch to Campbell? Or do you think they ride out Anderson?
1: I, I don't know. That's a that's a tough decision. Because like, either way, it's goalies are so inherently volatile that you could make the right the quote-unquote right decision if we can even assume that there is a an unequivocally right decision and it can still blow up in your face right right um i think like i i think i would go campbell at that point like anderson's really lost a lot of trust for me with how poor he's been this season and look campbell's numbers this season aren't amazing but he's been good as a leaf and then that kind of sticks in your mind
0: right and it just feels like from the team confidence perspective, like it would be worth a change. I love Campbell. I love having him, having him in there. But it'll be interesting if they do make the playoffs just because like, if a bad game happens, I am curious to see how short that leash is in reality because, you know, if, if Campbell takes a job and runs with it, it's going to be, uh, I don't know, it'll just be interesting. It'll be obviously a, a different storyline that I, I don't think we could have said in, in past years. Yeah. So next question here, question 14. So when Dubas was hired, I think what was expected was this young, savvy GM, a guy that's going to use advanced stats to, to build his team. Uh, we've seen signs of that. I think part of that is put, like paying the stars, uh, keeping Nylander. Uh, but on the other end, we've seen, you know, I don't think Tyson Barry was a money ball type of player. Kyle Clifford was more for the like, – he's kind of both, I guess. But uh, he brings some muscle. Um, so on a scale of one to 10, how, how well do you think Dubas has kind of lived up to that profile of a player who's, or sorry, of a, a general manager who's kind of been the young savvy GM that really relies on advanced stats?
1: I'd say, it, you know, eight to nine, and that's for both for better and for worse. Um, okay. I think maybe to some extent his naivety was taken advantage of in, by, um, in, in the negotiations with the big three, particularly with Marner. Okay but generally speaking there's been like an analytical angle behind almost every trade and move that he he's made that and it makes sense from that perspective even the Kadri trade Kadri's an analytics darling um so is Kerfoot though and with Barry you are right Barry's not really a money ball player but i think kind of the real value add and the real benefit of that deal from the Leafs perspective is we got you know a, a slightly cheaper player than Ka- or not a slightly cheaper, a cheaper player than Nazem Kadri who is only slightly worse in the role that we're going to play him in. Obviously, and I actually just mentioned this on on Back to Excited, which I recorded, you know, right before this. Um, Kadri is obviously a better player than Kerfoot, but a lot of the things he's better at are not things that were that important to the Leafs. He's way better on the power play, but the Leafs have a plethora of power play options. Right, right. He'd be he's way better if you want to load up a top line and say put Kadri on the left wing of you know Matthews and Marner or of Tavares and Nealander. Kadri's way better at that than Kerfoot would be, but if we're not really going to do that, then that's not really a huge value add for Kadri. So I think that was kind of the the main idea. And then Barry was like, okay, cool. This will also help fortify the defense. Um, So, I mean, on the whole, I'm happy with what Dubas has done. I think he's kind of lived up to the the profile. The profile was always a little overrated because, you know, as as you know, he's the definition of a hockey lifer. Right. He is. Right? Just his life has been quite short relative to other hockey lifers so far. Yeah, and he
0: really places a strong... uh strong value to intangibles. Uh, I You kind of convinced me to move it up. I had him at like a seven and a half before. I kind of bumped that up to an eight. Uh, the one thing I forgot about, I guess, was the Tavares deal where some people were like, you can't pay Tavares. Like, you, you can't go towards forwards. And I think that was like a, a very smart deal and, and not one that everyone would have done, even though it should have been a no-brainer. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say that, you know, he's had a tough... A tough run of it when it comes to like he's been had to be so focused on the RFA deals. Uh, he's also had a pretty tight cap to to kind of work around. Uh, he didn't have a ton of flexibility. Uh, I I don't think he's really stolen too many players yet um, yes. in the sense that Carolina has. So that's kind of the one thing keeping him from a nine or ten. Uh, going in, I think it kind of goes without saying, but going into this offseason, I'm hoping for like a Carolina type need a writer for Rask move.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think if you if you want to make a criticism of Dubas, it's, it's the traits he hasn't made really, right? Where he hasn't found kind of that unicorn right defenseman, easier said than done. He hasn't made a a Zucker for, you know, three futures or a Nino you know, for Rask type move or even like a, what Boston just did in getting Kasha. I know Kasha has injury issues, but... That was a steal. Yeah, right? but like if, if Kasha is even remotely as good as we know he can be, You know, it's a great deal for Boston. And even if Kasha, like, blows up and is nothing, it's still a good deal for Boston because they got off uh, their one really bad salary. Right.
0: And, I mean, he didn't have his first-round pick this year because he had to use it to get out of the Marlowe deal. But, uh, so, yeah, I think we were were pretty aligned there. Um, So, another 1-10 to here, next two. So, how much do you agree with this theory? So, relative to other playoff teams, the Leafs don't have enough players who raise the floor so when they're not scoring they're still contributing they're still playing well uh guys like Hyman and Muzzin come to mind but do the Leafs lack these types of players relative to other playoff teams so from one to ten how how strongly do you agree with that
1: uh maybe like a three really I I don't I I don't really agree with that um and I guess I don't know maybe, maybe if I thought about it more I I would but I does that essentially just mean, wait, wait, I guess it depends on what do you mean by when they're not scoring, are they still playing well? Do you mean by, are they still like helping the team win?
0: Yeah, it, it's play driving, defensive game, like essentially what Muzzin and Hyman bring to the table.
1: Right. So, I mean, I don't know. So, okay, I, I guess a clarifying question here is Is David Pasternak, a player who, when he isn't scoring, does not help you win or is not like, would he, would he fit into this boat?
0: Um, I think he still helps win in terms of play-driving perspective, but, like, okay, he's not, yeah, he's not that's necessarily that's empty calories. I'm talking more, like, you know, Phil Kessel, for example. Yeah, okay, the, so, the so
1: that, that's the same interpretation I, I would have. And in that case, I think all four of the least big forwards are good play-drivers, good to great play-drivers. Um, So, certainly, uh, you know, you want them to score, and they're paid in part because they have finishing talent. Uh, But I think they still help the team when they're not scoring. If anything, I would say that the Leafs have too many players who just don't impact the game enough on their, basically on the lower ends of their roster. Like, and I'm talking about like Gautier there, right? Engvall had a hot start and hasn't really lit it up since. Right. Right. Spets has been good. um, So no real complaints about him. And then on the defense side, you know, I, I like Morinsen as a seventh defenseman, right? I, I kind of meme about him. He's fine as a seventh defenseman. I don't really want him on a regular everyday thing. He doesn't impact enough offensively for me. Um, Rosen, you can probably you know fit him in the same boat. Uh, e- even guys like like Hall, I I don't think they are difference makers. Right. Right. So I, I think I think the issue is more with the depth not doing enough to help than with the star players who have by and large been pretty good.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. I I put it more towards like a sixth for me. The two players that come to mind are Riley. Barry where it's like yes Barry that's especially um not that we need to rip on Barry anymore but uh and then as you said like the Goche types the depth I think injuries have kind of impacted them this year with Micaiah and, and Janssen going down so you know if they do get uh, Micaiah back which it sounds like they will maybe I go back down to like a, a five or a four here but Um, You know, without Mikhaev and and Janssen right now, it feels like their depth is a little bit tested. And as you said, there seems to be some players who just, I guess, aren't contributing enough. I also wouldn't mind, you know, one more kind of Hyman or Niederreiter-like play driver for the top six. I think that's one thing they're lacking is, you know, Hyman can only play with with one of Tavares or Matthews. And they really haven't had an answer there with Mikhaev out.
1: Yeah, Makayev has been very helpful when he has been able to play, but he, he he's kind of a rush on hyman in right, some respects.
0: Right. Okay, another one to t- last one to 10 here. Question 16. How much do you agree with this statement? This is from Mark Masters tweeted it out. It's a quote from Marner. Teams are playing us now knowing that Mats is really the only shooter up high and me and Tyson just have to start getting it on net more and deciding to shoot more. How, from one to 10, what do you think? How much do you agree with Marner on that statement?
1: Negative infinity.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm negative infinity plus, plus one, I guess. So uh, Or minus one, I guess. So uh, for me, like I, they switched the, the sides in last game where Marner's back on his strong side rather than his one-timer side. Uh, Matthews as well. I like that more. I just think Marner is at least more of a sh- threat to shoot um, but I don't want him shooting. I especially don't want him taking one-timers. And I think we're both in agreement that, you know, Barry shots from the point and Marner one-timers are the worst possible answer.
1: Right. I mean, the the defense is, is going to kind of let those happen because those are the most unthreatening shots, right? Um, and what the Leafs power play has to do is figure out ways to not settle for those shots. In general, I think the galaxy braining that the Leafs have done about this year's power play has been frustrating to me because last year, I don't really think the power play was broken. The process wasn't broken, I don't think, right? I I, I genuinely think you get Marner, you give him a good net front option, you give him a good bumper, you give him a power play, uh, a defenseman who can just move the puck, and you have Austin Matthews on the other side, and you put both Matthews and Marner on their strong sides. I don't think there's anything wrong with that formula.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of tired of the
1: one-timers. Yes, and look, I think people said, okay, you know, the that power play got, got stale, and I don't really think it did because the whole point of it is Marner had three very viable passing options. Yes, you the other team kind of leaves the point open. That happens with every power play. The point guy is always open because that's the least threatening area of the ice. That's not a unique thing, right?
0: So long answer short here, you don't, you don't want Marner to be your... Uh assistant coach in 15 years <laughs> coaching
1: the he's still young he can learn um but i i disagree with him <laughs> yeah, in this case so. like it, it's just I, I i i really don't think that we need to over centralize on saying okay you know the defense is is playing us to let us shoot so we need to like fall into that trap no you need to figure out ways to avoid that trap right
0: okay yeah i'm with you there a uh, couple, couple, four more. So a couple quick ones here. Uh, what should the NHL do with its playoff format? So I saw on Twitter, LeBron, Pierre LeBrun suggested a eight, nine play in. Um, I know you don't like that, but what, what would you like to see them do? Uh, like the status quo or would you like to see a switch?
1: So the LeBron tweet was actually our bad take of the week on back to excited. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm fine with the playoff system as is. Uh, I don't. Or I'll, I'll say I'll say this. I'm fine with kind of the NHL playoffs being a bracket style thing with four rounds. I would like to go to. I would get rid of the divisional setup. I'd like to just go to one eight within the um, within the conferences. I would also you'd also have to rebalance schedules to some degree there. So I, I would be fine with that. In general, I, I'm not too fussed about the playoff uh, the playoff structure as long as we don't allow more teams in. Right, I think right. sixteen in a soon-to-be thirty-two team league—that's fine. You're t- you're lopping off half the field, that's good. Like I don't want mediocre teams to win cups, basically, because they got hot right. for two months.
0: Right, and like if, even if the least come ninth, I almost don't want them to come in. Like they don't deserve. No, it they don't deserve
1: point. it. It's like we, at that point, you were by definition a below-average team.
0: The only thing I want is I want the I don't want to go to the division still. Like I want to get away from that. I just. I hate knowing who they're going to play in January. I want them to kind of be able to earn uh, a better, like a, an easier matchup rather than just being locked in. So that's kind of my one. This,
1: would, this would never happen, but I, I do like the higher seeds pick their opponents. I love idea. it
0: too, but yeah, that that's never happened.
1: Yeah, GMs would hate it.
0: Yeah, they would. They get so much blame if they ever lost, right? Especially Tampa. Mm-hmm. Imagine if Tampa chose Columbus last year, that would have been it. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. So okay, three more here. So, what does Zach Hyman's next contract look like? So, I'm gonna guess, let's say a four-year deal. Uh, he's 28 in June, so he'll be 29 next off-season when he when he when it starts. Uh, 37 points, 50 games this season. He's shooting close to 20, percent so I don't know if that'll be uh, sustained next year. But say over like a four-year term, what AAV
1: are you willing to give him? willing to give him oh, that's tough because so he's he's gonna be hyman's one of those guys that's always older than you think right right because he came into the league pretty late and he's a physical guy i don't like a huge part of his effectiveness is he's a, a really amazing athlete even by nhl standards right like his his strength is
0: right so it'll be his 29 29 to 32 uh,
1: i don't know like th- I, I think he's a top six forward in the nhl okay um will he be over the life of that deal maybe not so much at the end there's some injury risk uh four mil four and a half
0: yeah that's right around where i had him okay and i just hope that, like you can't sign him this off season when the shooting percentage is so high you gotta wait i think for that one
1: yeah absolutely you, do, you, you have to wait maybe like i in a perverse way you, you kind of hope he gets a bit of a, a, a slump at some point next year and you can right. sign him then yeah
0: i'm with you there okay two more uh 19 should be quick if the leafs re-sign cody cc which team will you begin cheering for seattle you're going seattle eh? i'd go i'm I'm, yeah i'd go either uh colorado or like i'm in reality i'm still going to cheer for the leafs but uh, if they folded for example um colorado i love uh, mckinnon mccarr just think they have so many uh weapons Especially Alex Newhook's coming too. The other one's Vegas, like Mark Stone. I love watching. I just love the atmosphere. But you're going mm. Seattle.
1: Eh? If I was to actually, if I was to actually switch, so the team I like watching the most, and I I, I make fun of them a lot, but uh, Vancouver has such a great collection of young talent. Yeah, Patterson and Hughes, Besser. Yeah, I mean, just Patterson and Hughes are, are they make any game watchable, right? Um, Horvat's become a really really excellent player in his own right. Yeah. Uh, obviously Besser's Wicked Shot. And it's, but like, I I don't trust that front office. So I think like becoming a fan of them would be a bad idea. (laughs) It's a (laughs) more heartache.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're uh, doing yourself many favors there. Okay, last question here. So um, while I have you on, so you're a PhD student in statistical sciences. So I wanted to ask you a few advanced stats questions. So nothing overly serious here. I know you don't put you on the spot here, but. What annoys you when you see people doing these advanced stats analysis? And I know I'm not speaking like towards like Mika Blake McCurdy or, you know, Evolving Hockey. I'm talking more just things you see on Twitter that you think, you know, it's not really the best use of advanced stats. For me, there's a, a few that come to mind. Um, one being just like sample size and like mm-hmm. cherry picking sample size. Uh, The other is just kind of overvaluing expected goals in like a one-game sample.
1: Yes. So I I think I can boil it down to a couple key issues that come up often and and frustrate me. The first is not respecting variance enough, right? So that that goes to what you said. You know, um, when we talk about a player's like expected goals tally in in a game, that itself is kind of the output of a random variable. It has some variance associated with it, right? It's Mm -hmm. not a oracle that says this is how good the team was when the player was on the ice. There's huge error bars around it, especially in a one-game sample and in small samples in general. Um, arbitrary endpoints are another one where someone says, you know, in the last X games, su- such and such has happened. Well, why'd you choose X, right? There has to be a reason for choosing X, right? Otherwise, it's just like, well, why did not you choose X plus one or X minus one or X times two, right? right. So arbitrary endpoints matter a lot. Um, now you can choose like endpoints based on some qualitative reasoning. Like a lot of the times we look at, okay, how have the Leafs done in the Keefe era? But that's not an arbitrary endpoint. That's saying we would expect a change in the process from this point forward. And that's, that's we're going to look at the data from this point forward. So those, those two are really uh, clear uh, and obvious ones. The other is kind of, I think people are too People treat like RIPM charts as if it's like a mic drop in an argument. Right. <laughs> that annoys me. Again, those are estimates that have variance associated with them. They have standard errors associated with them. Um, and that means there are, you know, we have a certain degree of confidence about those. Uh, they are very, very useful tools. I use them whenever I want to evaluate a player but it's not the be-all and end-all. It, it, it's, it's a way to say, okay, this is what this estimate has said about this player, but it, I think the the confidence that you get from that should be, in general, much smaller than a lot of people um, seem to say. So those are the obvious ones that come to mind.
0: Yeah, hey, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the mic drop thing. Like One thing that comes to mind to me, like when I learned when I was writing about baseball is you know, defensive stats in baseball are pretty noisy where, you know, one year you can have a guy that's like five runs above average and then the next year he's five runs below average and then he goes back up to five. It's not necessarily skill. Like there is a lot of noise in that data. And I think when we see hockey stats at some point, like if a guy goes from being like a 60th percentile player in war and then goes to like an 80th, I, I don't like saying that's all skill. I don't want to say it's all noise either, but I do think like just because you're you're throwing a, an RIPM graph out there, it can't be the mic drop. I want to see just more thought go in kind of behind the chart.
1: Yeah, I agree completely
0: uh, one one other thing is like I guess years ago like it's been forever where bigger players have been overvalued and then like the, when the more advanced stats came out there's a thing towards smaller players like I love for smaller players. Um, it's kind of the same with, like, uh, now offense is considered good, defense is considered, like, meaningless. Um, Like, Barry, for example, I don't think he's a money ball player. I think he's the complete opposite, even though he's a small offensive defenseman. Um, I think just getting, like, kind of cleaning that up a bit where we start actually looking at how the player is by the numbers rather than just their skill set because, you know it's going to come to the, up in the draft too when you have players like Barry where, you know, they're not really those money ball type of players or the players that are really valued by advanced stats. They're kind of the opposite. Uh, Barry just comes to mind for me like that, and I think we've kind of gone too far in overcorrecting the size thing uh, when it comes to the subsection on, on Twitter.
1: Yeah, no, other, the other thing we've talked about is, I think some people make kind of these grand declarative declarative statements about tactics that are not really supported by data and I want to be clear this actually com- I am completely excluding Ryan Stimson from this because I think his work is is the exact opposite it's where he, he makes kind of these tactical you know proclamations but his are generally relatively well backed up and well reasoned and there's thought behind them but like I remember I forget who but I remember someone saying that like you know teams would on average like win five more games if they played four forwards and one defenseman all the time and I'm like that's BS. You Because you, c- c- you have no idea what that actually looks like. What does it mean to play four forwards and one defenseman? Are you just having a, for- a forward playing, essentially, defense? Or are you completely changing the structure of your team? Because if so, that's a massive change to hockey tactics in general that I don't think we have a way of projecting, right? It, it's it's completely unclear. And I think having that level of confidence in that, like I, I would be fine if someone said, I think playing four forwards and one defenseman at five on five would be a better strategy for reasons X, Y, Z. I might disagree, but there's a thought process in that. There's a thought process and there's logic there. If someone says it is clearly better to do that and doesn't really show the work, I, I that pisses me off because that's just like that's irresponsible.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of tired of the whole total hockey thing too. <laughs> so that's it for the twenty questions. A few notes before I get out of here. So Robertson's now at fifty-one goals in forty-four games. Wanted to give him a shout out. Uh, also, the Marlies look good again to me. Duzak's got 18 points in 22. Uh, they're now getting Lilligren back. They moved out Harper, Archibald, Baptiste, Smaltz. Uh, they got in Lurito, Kapla, who I really like, Duzak, Salamaki. They're getting Batan back as well as Lilligren. So they're kind of watchable again. Um, I think that's an encouraging sign. It's probably too little too late, but they do look better um i just want to mention that quick so arvin thanks for joining me today i'm sure you were thrilled to talk about a a three-game losing streak (laughs) but uh
1: where can people find your work um so they can find my work at pensionplanpuppets.com i'm also on twitter at arvi myself and acting the foolaman another uh, writer at ppp we host uh, a podcast called back to excited which shows up uh, every week on you know wherever podcasters are distributed soundcloud spotify apple Podcasts, whatever
0: perfect yeah be sure to check out arvin stuff at Pension Plan puppets and back to excited podcast if you if you're not a fan of arvin and acting the full there's there's the cat so you can't go wrong with that podcast uh is that william's cat
1: it is it's fullman's cat
0: so that's I, i'm sorry to break it to you but that's the star so uh arvin <laughs> we'll have to have you we'll have to have you back on soon thanks again for joining us and thanks for having we'll you, see man. every we'll see everyone next week